title of our message today is called Run With The Vision. This is number three in the crisis series. I've been burning in my heart all week to bring this to you, and I'm excited because this whole thing is about to take a turn. And there's been a lot of judgment, a lot of gloom in these first couple of chapters, and things are about to turn. There's some woes that are coming, sorrow awaiting those that continue to walk in what God says that we should depart from. But there's a glimpse. You're going to see a gospel promise here, and you're going to see faith arise and the glory of the Lord be revealed. And that's what we're looking for. And so today, the, the title of the message is called Run With the Vision. And our text is found in Habakkuk chapter 2. I want you to read this with me, please. We have four verses. Here we go. I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, my, my, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Now you have no idea what that means in my life right now. <laughs> Because I'm at the brink of seeing what I've been trusting God for for 27 years. And it may be slow in coming, but I'm telling you it will be fulfilled. It will not be delayed. I don't understand sometimes the timing of the Lord. But I want to tell you right now, He may not be on time for your time, but He's always right on time in His time. <laughs> Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. Here it comes. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Do we have verse 14? All right, two more. I want you to get this. This is the promise in the middle of the judgment. Look, come on. Say it. Read it with faith. Here we go. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. That's God's promise to you right there. Finally, verse 20 for the end of the chapter. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. We've been loud. We've been celebratory. We've cried out to God. Let's have a moment of that right there. Just be still and know that he's God. Jesus. Thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for the promises of God that you've given to us. The mystery of the deep and stepping out into oceans that would drown us apart from your presence. Thank you for faith. Jesus, we humble ourselves before you and we ask you today to Speak through your word to each and every individual in this room. Those who will be listening later. Lord, you have the ability uniquely to take my ordinary words and extraordinarily burn them, Lord, like a brand into the hearts individually. Customize the word, Lord, for every circumstance in this room. I can't do that. No man can do that. Only the Holy Spirit of God can do that convict us, challenge us. Lord, wrap your arms of love and mercy around us. Comfort us. 
change us, we pray. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we lift this up and all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Just want to say good morning to you. If you're a first-time guest, my name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory, and we're excited to have you. If this is your first time, we just want to reach out to you and and make this experience for you one that is strengthening to your life and uh, uplifting. We we believe that the gospel is to be given in a life-giving kind of way. Too many times and too many places, people experience the good news by preachers that are in a bad mood. And uh, not to say that I never get in a bad mood, but I really go before God so that I don't ever get in the pulpit in a bad mood, that's for sure. And the people said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so I'm, I'm here today. I want to I lift up Jesus. I want to make him, I want to magnify him, make him great in your understanding and your perspective and how you see him. We have a vision that God has called us to run with. We Uh, believe that in in this message, there's one thing I believe the Lord wants to impart to you, and that one thing is this. From those messages or those scriptures that you read, this is how I would sum it up. And if you would say this out loud with me, please. God's vision is for His glory to be in your story. It's a little bit cheesy, but it'll make you remember it. God's vision is for His glory to be in your story. Now, I want you to make it personal. Say that about yourself. God's vision is for His glory to be in my story. One more time, like you mean it. God's vision is for His glory to be in my story. So the whole purpose of God from the foundation of the earth was to have a people that He could share Himself with, that He could walk with and talk with, and be in communion, share some commonality, come union, come be one with Him. And so this morning, as we look to this, we are in the third installment of the series called Crisis, and we've intentionally taken this three-chapter book out of the Old Testament, the book of Habakkuk. His name means to embrace and wrestle. And Habakkuk is embracing and wrestling with The word from the Lord that has been given to him from about 609 to 605 B.C. when he prophesies, it's about 10 years ahead of when God is actually going to use a rising, powerfully increasing, more and more influential nation called Babylon, which will be modern-day Iraq, okay? They're increasing in terms of world dominance and influence. They are extremely wicked, in terms of the violence that they carry out on peoples, people groups, when they move into nations and take them captive. And Habakkuk has been given a word from the Lord that said the judgment of God was coming on the covenant people of Israel. We really rehearsed this in depth last week, and I'm not going to go back and take any lengthy time, but just to say Habakkuk is not struggling with God's judgment coming on the covenant people. He's struggling with the instrument he's using. Habakkuk knows the law of God. He knows the commandments of the Lord. He knows how broadly and and swiftly and repeatedly the people of God from mountaintop to valley, from mountaintop to valley, from revival in a good king in Judea to plunging into idolatry and sensuality and everything else that the other nations pursued. He's seen it happen, happen over again. 
and prophets have arisen and they've, they've warned of impending doom and, and judgment and he's been given that same word. God's, God has used this. Remember, for the covenant people, judgment is not punitive, but it's therapeutic. Now, as a believer, as a Christian, you are the New Testament, New Covenant representation of the, of the covenant, of covenant Israel. You are the church. You are the, the spiritual people of God. And so when judgment comes in your life, many times it's just out of what we call sowing and reaping. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. Uh, you can't keep planting a bad crop and expect to reap a good one. So you need to be making good decisions. You need to be planting good seeds. And some of us need to pray for some crop failure. You're going to hear that. And so judgment's coming on the covenantal people. It's not necessarily punitive for covenantal people, but it's therapeutic. God is bringing them back to a place of righteousness. It's to make them right. It's to bring justice into a place of injustice. Now, it is certainly the punitive aspect on the enemy nations of God, people that are enemies to God's purpose. And so Babylon is going to get it, but Habakkuk is struggling not because God is going to bring judgment on Israel, but because God is using the nation of Babylon to do it. So he pours out his first complaint in Habakkuk chapter 1, and we went over that last week and talked about it. And then from about verse 12 through 17, the end of the chapter, Habakkuk pours out a whole second complaint, and he's really wrestling with God and saying, why in the world would you choose this ungodly nation? He's basically saying their sin is way worse than ours. And isn't that what we typically do sometimes when we put ourselves in a place of comparison and we look at someone else's circumstance and we compare it to ours? We always have the tendency of saying, well, I'm glad I'm not doing that. Failing to recognize that sin before God is sin and that all sin, the scripture says in the first chapter of Habakkuk that God cannot even look upon evil. And it is only because of Jesus Christ that we have the opportunity or the access into the presence of God this morning because God poured out all of His wrath and His judgment for all of the sins of the world on this one perfect God-man whose name was Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Now, this is, this is pre-Calvary. This is 605 years before Jesus is even born. It's going to be another 33 and a half before He visits Calvary and hangs suspended between heaven and earth and becomes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so we're grateful for that. We look back. What they were looking forward to, we are on the other side of the cross and look back to this central pivotal point in history because it truly has changed everything. From that point, not just the death on the cross, but the resurrection out of the grave was the beginning of God's doing a whole new creation in all the world and all the earth. It is the, the process of God renewing all things, making all things new. I say it frequently. God could have easily just wiped it all out and said, I'm going to make all new things. But he didn't say that. He said, I'm going to make all things, what? New. And it's entirely different to take messed up, broken, jacked up, the mess of people's lives and make something entirely new out of it instead of just wiping it out and making something new. Are you hearing that? So God can take your mess and he can redeem it and he can turn it around and he can make a message that will actually bring his glory because God's vision is to get his glory up into your story. Look at your neighbor and tell him one more time. Say God's vision is to get his glory into your story. 
And so his, his glory is his power, his vision, his provision for everything that he wishes for you. And that is everything that was under the curse, he has broken you out of it. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Jesus became a curse for us so that we could be free from the, the curse of the law of sin and death. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, I'm excited this morning. And so as we get into this, I want you to see that there are four things real quickly today I want to move through. And as Habakkuk pours out his second complaint, we open with what we have the second chapter and he basically says this. He says, I will climb up to my watchtower and I will stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Everybody say, watchtower, guard post. And he's, notice he says, there I will wait. Now this is what I want you to see. My first point is this. We must have right alignment for our assignment. Everybody say, right alignment. Now, the worst thing that you can do when things get difficult is just throw your hands up and quit because God has a purpose for your life. And if you are married, then your purpose is to be the right kind of spouse to that individual. If you have children, you need to stay in alignment with the purpose of God to mentoring them and training them and loving them and encouraging and investing and pouring grace and correcting when necessary in their lives because if you abdicate your post, the Bible uses this word, apostasy. And if you take that word and divide it, you see the, 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 the uh, prefix, wouldn't come to me, the prefix ah, a, which means not or negated, negative, apostasy. When you are apostate, you have left your post. You've left your watchtower. You've left your guard post. If God has called you to be a Christian business person in this community and things are tough and the bottom line is, is rough and there ain't no glory of God in your story in the middle of where you are right now, the worst thing you can do is just quit, give up, throw up your hands and, and step away and leave your post you need to find your place. This is what Habakkuk said. I've poured out my complaint to God. I know that I have a calling. And therefore, I'm going to step back into what I know is my purpose. I'm going to find my watchtower. I'm going to climb back up into my watchtower where I can see. Because God's called me to be a seer. He's called me to be a prophet. I'm supposed to embrace something and wrestle it down. That's Habakkuk's name. Okay? So he says, I'm going to find my post. Because why is he saying this? Because sometimes you can become so frustrated with the current level of circumstances in your life that you get distracted from who you are. That's why we sang it this morning. That's who you are, Lord, and that's who I am. And when you forget who you are, the enemy can make you do a bunch of crazy stuff. He can make you jump goofy and forget who you are. Matter of fact, let me just be so brave as to tell you this. Anytime you venture out into sin, it's a momentary lapse of memory as to who you really are in Christ. Now think about that. Anytime you embrace something that you know that is displeasing to God and is contrary to the Christ nature that is now on the inside of you by the presence of the Holy Spirit, by Jesus being literally in your heart, taking up His habitation, having His abode in your life, the Christ nature of God, 
the anointing, the Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of you as a believer. Don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. You're therefore glorified God in your bodies, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when the enemy can distract you and just throw all of this stuff at you and you start to wrestle it down and you, 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 you become paralyzed because you've been so busy in an- analyzing, the paralysis of analysis can affect anybody and you can get so focused and so internal and so convinced of the way you see things that you, you, you fail to see the higher picture of what God has called you to do. And this is what Habakkuk said. I'm going to get in right alignment so I can get my assignment. I'm going to climb back up into my watchtower. I'm going to get back in my post. I'm not going to be apostate. Where is perseverance in the 21st century church? It just gets so easy just to get offended and go church hopping and go, well, that's just a mess down there. It's so-and-so, and and I'm going to leave and go somewhere else. And you'd be six months down there, and then you get offended somewhere else, and you go, oh, well, I just just really feel called to look around. Now, you need to put down some roots, sweetheart, and you need to realize that any growth in the kingdom of God means you're going to go through seasons of downpours and deluges of rain, and you're going to have seasons of drought, and you're going to have times when sometimes... The gardener in your life puts some dung around you so you can get fertilized. How many of you know sometimes you have to endure some dung in your life? And I'm trying real good to preach that the cleanest way I know how. Come on, y'all so spiritual you can't understand what I'm talking about this morning. You enduring some stuff. Some of you in, in stuff happens. You know that. You know that bumper sticker. You know it happens. Life happens. And so you endure some dung that gets thrown at you. And sometimes it hits the fan and, and it just splatters all over the place. And you have to go, God, I, I, I need an outpouring of rain of the Holy Spirit in my life to wash this stuff down. I, I, I've been there. I know what I'm talking about. And you can get so distracted in the middle of all that that you forget who you are and you forget what you've been called to. And that's when you have to do what Habakkuk did. He said, I will climb back up into my watchtower and I will find my guard post and there I will wait to hear what the Lord has to say. You have a trouble in your marriage, the worst thing you can do is go file to break it up. Get back up in your watchtower. Having trouble in your finances, get up in your watchtower. You have find out whatever your purpose is in God. Everybody's not a prophet, okay? I'm not I'm finding I'm saying you need to know where your guard post and your watchtower is. And if you've got children, it's to be a parent. If you've got a marriage, it's to be a spouse. Come on, somebody, help me preach a little bit this morning. Hallelujah. What was the Lord's answer to Habakkuk? Number two, God's vision is going to come. In God's time. Say that with me. God's vision is going to come in God's time. I believe right now, if I quit in this message and ended it right here, you've heard enough that you can go out and live this week and go, okay, God, let me, get, let me climb back up into my watchtower. Let me find my guard post and there wait and hear what the Lord's going to say. God's vision in God's time. Point number two, the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly. King James says, write the vision and make it plain on tablets so that a runner may run with the message. Somebody has got to carry this. We are called in this generation to be passing the baton. If you've been watching the Olympics in the particularly the relay race, 
the four, was it four by 400 or whatever, the relay, and the critical moment, the most critical moment, the, the most important thing isn't necessarily to be the, the swiftest of foot, but it's the transition between when the baton gets passed from one man to the next. And we're at a critical moment in, in, in this time of, of being able to deliver into the hands of the generation that is coming behind us a correct message for them to run with. God's called us to write it plainly, to understand the vision of God, for God's vision that is coming in God's time. And he says, so that a runner may run with the correct message to others. We want to be able to hand off a baton and hand it off safely and hand it off securely and have young men and young women in the next generation being prepared to be leaders. They've been discipled. They know who the Holy Spirit is. They're not afraid to put their trust in God and know that God will carry them through in dark times. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and <coughs> give the Lord praise. He says the vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently. Come on, how many of you have been there? What do, what, 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 what do you mean, wait patiently, Lord? I remember when I was about 13 years old and I, I finally made up my mind that I wanted this particular instrument right here and my little old family was just a little poor, literally lower middle class family here in Crittenden County and dad's just a mechanic on the farm and mom's a floral designer at Westminster's Flower Shop working for Bill Seaton and they're looking at about a $5,700 piece of equipment musically and they just said, son, there ain't no way. The, the new car my mom just had, dad had just bought her a new 88 Oldsmobile and the sticker on it was 5200 now, and, and there ain't no way they're going to get me a $5,700 organ. And, and so I'm riding to school one day, and I said, Mom, how long do you think it's going to take for the Lord to deliver this promise? Because I'm trusting in Him. And so she looks at me, and she says, Well, you know, it was 40 years before Moses came back and delivered the... <laughs> We're riding, and Mom's about to drop me off at school, and I said, Let me out of this car. <laughs> Gee, thanks, Mom. Now... Every four or five years I give the testimony and I'm not going that route this morning, but I want to tell you it took exactly nine months as I trusted God. It was like birthing a baby for that to be delivered into my life and literally 19, April 14th, 1975, on my dad's birthday, it got delivered to my house. Last year was 40 years that I've had it. This crazy thing is, real quick, I'm chasing a rabbit. Real quick, you turn on any of the late night shows, the early morning shows, you go to a tent revival, you go to a uh, a great big wonderful African-American church with a big choir. You go to jazz clubs, you go to rock and roll, whatever. You're going to see a B3 because it's the instrument they use everywhere. It is the go-to one. They quit making it in 78, and it's the only instrument on this stage that's actually appreciated. I had a guy offer me three years ago $10,000 for it. I said, you can't give me enough money because God gave me this. And this is a testimony to me as a young 14-year-old punk that the vision showed up when God said it was time. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Sometimes you have to wait patiently and, and you don't have any fingernails left because you're just chewing them down to the nub. Just, just anxious. And he says, for surely it will take place it will not be delayed. And obviously this passage has a historical fulfillment because just 10 years after Habakkuk is prophesying it, the first wave of the Babylonian siege is going to roll through Judea and Israel. Now, a decade later, they'll see that happen, the judgment on Israel. And it's going to take seven decades, 70 years later, before the judgment rolls in on the more wicked nation, according to Habakkuk, and Babylon itself gets judged. 
But I want you to see that there is not only just a historical fulfillment, but there is a prophetic and Christological fulfillment in that the New Testament takes this passage and doesn't just see it as an event that's coming, but as a person who is coming. And, and I want you to hear this because this is the Apostle Paul, I believe, whoever wrote Hebrews, I, I lean toward Paul. And it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37, it says, For just a little while the coming one will come and not delay. It says, And my righteous ones will live by faith. And I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. So Habakkuk is talking about an event, but the writer of Hebrews turns it around and says it's not an it that's coming, but it's a he. And the coming one will come and he won't be delayed. And how many of you know we join our hearts with the writer of this passage that says we long for the day when the coming one does come. As we read in our our psalm of acclamation this morning. He is coming to judge the earth in righteousness and in justice. He will come and judge all the peoples fairly. Come on, somebody, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that because I know that one thing that we need to grasp today before we get out of this place is that God's vision is to get His glory into your story. Point number three, verse four. The Bible says, The just shall live by faith. Some translations say faith. Some translations say faithfulness. Let's look at it again. Verse 4 of Habakkuk 2. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. King James says the just shall live by their faith. I've told you this before, but Martin Luther, the great reformer in October 31, 1517, nailed the 95 Theses to the Wittenberg church door in Worms, Germany. This next year, in 2017, we will celebrate 500 years since the Reformation when the shot was heard around the world. And I, I think it's a very, uh, very transitional time. I, th I think that just like the earth experiences 100-year and 500-year floods, I think we're going to have, I think we're going to see a 500-year revival that's what I'm believing God for. Not just, not America ending as we know it, but America being transformed by the power of the gospel and the power of God. Come on, somebody. I believe that with all of my heart. It says, the just shall live by faith. It says that in Habakkuk. It says it in Galatians. It says it in Romans. It says it, I just read it to you from the book of Hebrews chapter 10. So Martin Luther grabs this and begins to understand justification by faith alone. But he said it this way. He said, we are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. In other words, faith is the root of the tree and works are the fruit of the tree. We are established and rooted in faith that God gives as a gift, but as that faith grows and matures, it produces good works unto righteousness. Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So what is it? Is the, is the answer, the right answer, the just live by faith? Or is it the just live by faithfulness? And the answer is yes. It is both. It begins in faith alone, but it emerges and grows by a faith that does not remain alone, that produces good works. James said it this way, you show me your faith without your works, I will show you my faith with my works. And he said really truthfully, faith without works is what? 
is dead. If it doesn't begin to produce some change or some transformation, if your mess doesn't start looking like a message over a period of time, then, then we really have to back up and question whether the reality of our faith has, has impacted our lives. Faith is what you believe. Faithfulness is acting according to what you believe. So they go hand in hand. I must believe and behave accordingly. I must be the answer. In the middle of all of this gloom and doom and racism and struggle and terrorism around us and, and perversion and lawlessness in the courts and, and, and the continuous struggle where the media tries to divide us, let me just say this to you guys. This is not white against black. This is light against darkness is what this is. And we need to realize that to all of our African-American brothers and sisters, we're on your side. We're, grace swallows up race. And if you've ever been truly transformed, really transformed by the gospel of God, you will never look at another brother or sister in the same kind of way. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, we used to judge people by the human perspective. As a matter of fact, he says a, we, we even judged Christ by that but now we no longer do because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation and the old has gone and the new has come. So you know what? I, 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 had, I had a great, great friend of mine in North Carolina who was a colonel in the, in, in the, the armed forces and he pastored a church in Havelock. His, his name was Walter and his last name escapes me because this has been 33 years ago. Bishop Walter was his name. Lovely African-American gentleman. Great growing church. And he would have me come and preach off and on at different times. And he told a story about going to the driver's department of motor vehicles and getting his driver's license. And he had not checked, uh, he had not checked uh, uh, African-American or whatever the, 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 the thing was. He had checked other. And they said, what do you mean? You're a black man. He said, no, I'm a new creation. And, and they said, what do you mean? And he said, I'm, I'm a new creation in Christ. And he said, if you come to Christ too, it's, that comes first before your blackness or your whiteness or your redness or your yellowness. And that's what we have to be in this community. We cannot be the answer in this community in the middle of this plantation mentality and the disgusting effects of all of this stuff in the Delta if we can't be the answer even in this room. Come on, saints. we got to show folk that you can love beyond all of those differences and those distinctions. And, and that means that we can worship in the same room with our, with, our, with our blue lives, with our policemen, and we believe in them and we pray for them and we, we trust God to protect them when they put their lives on the line on a daily basis and help them make right decisions in critical moments. You know, I'm, I'm just, just help you in this. I will never understand what it's like to grow up a black man in America, but I'll also never understand what it means to put on a uniform and a badge and every day go out with the possibility of losing my life and sometimes have to pull the trigger. God help us all. Bring peace to West Memphis in Marion in Jesus' name. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? The church has to be the answer because the government can't legislate it. And the Democrats and the Republicans are going to keep us all divided and throwing rocks at each other. I'm preaching so good this morning. I wish somebody would help me a little bit. It's not... It's not any of those things. It's not rich against poor. It's not educated against uneducated. It's not any of that stuff. It's it, People, it's light against darkness. We have to be a shelter in the time of storm. We have to be the anchor in the midst of the sea for this culture. We have to be the good that overcomes evil. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? 
Oh, look at this. I, I, I really probably don't have the time, but I'm going to do it anyway. Look at, I've got two verses. Give, go ahead and give me, Brennan, give me Isaiah 50, 52. Look at this. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the what? Of the messenger. Everybody say Jesus. The messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation and news that the God of Israel reigns. Now, Paul grabs this and quotes it in the New Testament book of Romans and look what he does with it. Romans chapter 10. Read out loud with me. And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of... What happened? It, what happened to it? It changed from singular... To plural. Do you think Paul didn't read the scripture right? What do you think Paul was trying to say in this little bitty tiny difference here? If you read it in the King James, it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him in Isaiah. But in Romans, it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them. How many of you know when Jesus came and he poured out the Holy Spirit, come on somebody, the him became a them. And the messenger became messengers. And you are called to run with a vision. You're called to run with the correct message that God has written down for this generation. Come on somebody. Look at your neighbor and say, you better run. Hallelujah. I love it. God's vision is to get his glory into your story. Verse 14, here it here it is right here. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. I want to give you six very, very, very quickly, very practical things here. I'm going to do this in two minutes, so stay with me. Here we go. The consequences, last point, the consequences of our focus and our trust. The consequences of our focus and our trust. In the middle of destruction, in the middle of I have to turn off the news. I had to. I had to take a break from it. And I want to tell you, I don't want to offend anybody, but you can watch Fox News and get a bad attitude because you start getting all self-righteous and pharisaical about your good old conservative values. And so I just flip around sometimes just to see the different perspective. And then for the last week, I've just been shutting it down. Just shut it off. God, I'm going to climb back up into my watchtower and I'm going to get in my guard post and I'm going to wait to hear what you have to say. Because this mess, they're like playing dodgeball out there with each other and trying to slam each other against the wall and there's nothing productive in it. God, help us. This is what he says. There are consequences to what we focus on and what we put our trust in. Here we go, last thing. As you read through verse 4 through 20, there's six things and I'm going to give it to you in a summary. First of all, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it's woe to the proud. And this is what he's saying. Don't focus on or put your trust in yourself, your ability, or your strength. Right now in the middle of this difficult time, don't focus on your own ability and say, well, I'm so smart I can get through this. And you guess what? Because if you think you are, God will let you figure it out. And if you think you're all that, he will, let, he will show you how you are not all that. Don't Focus or put your trust in anything in yourself that produces pride or your personal abilities, your natural strengths in any kind of way. Verses 6 through 8, he says, woe to the greedy. And he, he, he elaborates on what all that means. He says, don't focus or put your trust in your money, your wealth, your possessions. What does the book of Proverbs say? It's only righteousness that delivers from death. Wealth doesn't deliver you from death in the day of judgment. Like the old man said, you know, you can't take a hearse, pull it behind your, 
or a U-Haul and pull it behind your hearse. You, they, where you're going, you can't take any of this stuff with you. Trusting in your possessions and your wealth. Thank God for blessings. Thank God for material things, but keep them in perspective. If I put my trust in that, there's consequences. If you think you've got enough money to do it, God will let you finance it. But when you figure out you can't do it, then God will show up and open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you don't even have room enough to receive. One thing is, God's vision is to get his glory into your story, into your strength, into your money, but it's his glory. It's when you can say, God, I'm not trusting in anything that's mine. Next one, woe to the dishonest. The New Living says, sorrows are awaiting those who practice all these things, manipulations, disingenuous dealings, lying. Folk, in the day of judgment, worst thing for you to do is walking around telling a lie. Don't, don't be part of that. Put away from you all lying. Tell the truth. Somebody say amen. amen. Next one is woe to the violent. 2, 12 through 14. Don't focus on or trust in intimidation or violence or taking personal vengeance. Let God deal with it. Don't try to take vengeance. Listen, that's the weak person that takes vengeance. A stronger person is able to forgive a smart person is able to ignore it. God make us all strong and smart so we can forgive and ignore and let the Lord take care of it. Are you, right? Are you with me? All right, next one. Don't focus on the sensual. Woe to the sensual. Chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. I don't have to stop and define this. We all know what immorality is, what sensuality. Our culture is dripping it's just scantily clad men and women. Every time you, you turn on a commercial, you watch a TV show, it's just one more thing to get an image up in front of us and lure us and tempt us into lust and minimize the value of the one that we love because he or she doesn't fit what everybody says is the American dream. Come on, somebody. And you know what, when really, when, if we tell the truth, they ain't none of them that do because they've all been airbrushed into perfection. And I'll just leave all that alone. Last one and I'm finished. Have you got anything out of this today? Woe to the idolater. The idolater is trusting or focusing on anything that claims it can do what only God can do. I can make an idol out of my money, out of my spouse, out of my kids, out of my job. Out of my post, I can make an idol out of this church that God's called me to raise up in this area. I can make an idol out of my own vision, make an idol out of myself. Anything that I ascribe Godness to that only God can be. And so this morning I say to you, don't focus on any of these things. Your self, ability, strength, your money, wealth, possessions, manipulation, disingenuous dealings, intimidation, violence, vengeance, immorality, sensuality, anything that other than God that has God claims to it. Because only God is God. So this morning, the last verse, and I'm finished with the message today. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. This morning, I'm speaking to, I believe, a room filled <clears throat> with believers whose trust is in the Lord. But it's so easy, like Habakkuk in the middle of all of the circumstances, the distractions, to embrace and start wrestling with something that makes me lose my attention. God is saying to you today, climb back up in your watchtower, find your guard post, and listen and hear what the Lord will say. And then write down the vision so that your children, those running behind you, can, can stop and say, 
my parents handed me this baton of faith. I saw when they didn't have anything and they prayed and trusted God and God came through and answered prayer. My, my, my parents stood when my brother was addicted and we, we, we came together as a family and we saw God move and salvation come. And they, they put a baton into the lives of their children. They give them something that's on fire that they can run with it into their generation. Man is speechless in God's presence. We have nothing to say when we realize how amazing and how great He is. Only but to be silent in the presence of the Lord of all flesh. The Lord's in His holy temple. And this morning, that's not a, not a brick and stone structure in Jerusalem. It's not this building in this room. But it's right here in your heart. The Lord is in His holy temple. Realize that wherever you go, you are a mobile temple of the Holy Spirit. You're carrying God with you. Be contagious with His presence. Be infectious with every person you see. If you would, please bow your heads and your hearts. God's vision is to get His glory into your story. And so today, if you're a believer and you need a fresh start, then I would just ask you to take this moment if something of conviction has come about any of those six woes, just lay it out before the Lord because the Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Everything that is unjust, He removes it. This morning, every head's bowed, every eye's closed. And I just want to say to you, I'm thankful for the gospel because the one who was coming did come. And he hung suspended between heaven and earth after having lived a perfect, sinless life. And he stretched out his arms and said, it is finished. The price is paid in full. That's available to you this morning. It's available to me. It's available to come as a fresh application to those who already know him. But in this moment, I'm specifically speaking to anyone who may have never crossed the line of faith to hear the amazing good news of the gospel that Though right now the penalty of sin and death weighs heavily on your life, Jesus has already taken your place. And simply all you have to do is reach out in faith and say, Jesus, save me. I trust you. Don't let your focus or your trust be on anything else except him. Because there are consequences to what we focus on and what we put our trust in. Very simply, it is a free gift. You don't earn it or deserve it. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So this morning, if that's you, as I close this service,